Good morning. I'd like to uh, invite you to open your books up to 1 Thessalonians with me. We're going to be studying from there in just a moment. It has been a great privilege to have time throughout the week set aside to sit down and study God's Word with uh, friends and and brothers and and even family members, people that I enjoy to, uh, to hear their thoughts and to hear their conclusions uh, and it helps me to become a stronger uh, Bible student and a stronger Christian as well. And I told you um, uh, several weeks ago that uh, in a study that, that me and Kyle are involved in with some other friends, we had been gun looking at the book of First Thessalonians. And the book of First Thessalonians is such a powerful book to me. It is a book of great um, encouragement. It is a primarily positive message. And it is a book about a group of people that we do well to try and... and mimic our lives after and try and focus our attention on striving to become like the Thessalonians. And so I invite you to join us as we, in studying through this book, uh, and and glean from some of the things that we learned as we studied through it uh, in our time together. To Just as a a way of housekeeping, if you will remember the last time we spoke about this book, we looked at the first three verses and primarily looked at the three characteristics that Paul decided to point out about this church. And that is that they were a church highlighted by their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. That is to say, faith, love, and hope had produced something in this church. Um, And we're going to continue that view now, picking up in verse 4, and seeing how that production made a change in their lives that was very evident, not just to Paul, but to people around them as well. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at the first, uh, at verses 4 and 5 for a second and make some thoughts on, on that. And, and we'll go along all the way through, chapter, or through verse 8. Uh, and, and as we go along with this, just try and picture and try and keep in mind the backdrop of this church and what they have come from. So in verse 4 and 5, it says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And so in these first two verses, one thing that is highlighted in my mind is the fact that the gospel had been brought to them. They had received the gospel, but it had come in great power as he mentions it. Now, looking back to what has, or maybe even looking forward to what is happening in Thessalonica, we see real changes happening in people's lives. There, uh, this is going to be highlighted in later verses, but in verse 9 uh, especially, he talks about how they turned from, uh, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These people have made real changes in their life. It's not the same group that, that started out on this journey. There is a noticeable difference among them. And he says the reason that that difference is there is because the gospel that was proclaimed to you, this gospel that Jesus Christ, a crucified carpenter from Nazareth that Rome had put to death and claimed to be the Son of God, that gospel had meaning to them. Uh, It's interesting to me, sometimes people in an attempt to try and... uh, persuade themselves and others away from, from the gospel of Christ will bring up the fact that there have been many people who have risen who claimed to be 
Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, who claimed to be the Messiah, some form of deity. Why is it just this one that we give credence to, that we listen to, that we believe in? And Paul is making a very good argument here, and he's going to continue to make that argument in these next verses. The reason is because he changed people's lives. This wasn't someone who just claimed to be who he was and, and died and, and was kind of an afterthought in everyone's minds from then on. He was someone who claimed to be who he was, and he backed that up with power, like Paul is talking about here, and he backed it up with transformation, not only in his own life, transforming from death back into life, but in the life of his followers. People were giving their lives for him. People were focused and dedicated to this more so than any other person in all of humanity's history. This message that was preached to them. If you think back to Acts 17 where Paul initially goes to Thessalonica and has this conversation with them, he says, this Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. That message that they heard was more than just words to them. This isn't just someone telling us the next big thing, the next philosophical uh, point that is, that is interesting for us to chew on for a while, but to kind of go on with our lives. And the reason why is because it came with power. And certainly, certainly the Holy Spirit has something to do with that. Certainly the miraculous power that, that was moving along with the apostles as they came and they confirmed the things that they were saying with signs and wonders. Um, but also, he says, it came with power because of who we were. Because of who Paul and his companions were. Their assurance of this. The fact that they're willing to leave their homes. They're willing to travel around the world. They're willing to sacrifice great things to be able to just have the opportunity to come and tell these people about, about Jesus Christ. Shows great power in this message. They had a message backed up by power, backed up by miracles, backed up by example. And I want you to remember what Paul and the others dealt with in Thessalonica. When they came and they brought this message, then the Jews stir up the, the, the community against them, and especially against the house of Jason, and drag him before the assembly, the governing power of Thessalonica. And, and there's a lot of turmoil going on, a lot of hardships that they're facing just to be able to tell them about Jesus Christ. And despite these trials, despite what's coming their, the, come their way, Paul and his companions are saying Jesus Christ is worth it. He is worth it for us to come and put our lives at risk. He is worth it for you to follow after Him in spite of what's going on. And many, many of those Jews and Greeks around them, how many of them would say the same thing about their God? How many of the Jews were willing to put their life at risk to go and, and, and stand up to Rome and, and, and say things to Rome like, like what Paul was saying uh, in regards to Jesus Christ? How many of the Greeks were going to stand up for, for Zeus or for any of the other uh, Roman or Greek gods? How many of these people are going to stand up for their beliefs the way that Paul was standing up saying, My God, Jesus Christ is worth it. He is worth it to me to put my life on the line for this. And God goes on, or excuse me, Paul goes on then in saying all that so, and, and makes this really kind of cryptic uh, comment. He says that the, the word of God has come. He says, brethren, or beloved brethren, maybe your translation has, you know, brethren beloved by God, I know that you've been chosen. Or I know that you've been elected by God. 
What does Paul mean when he says that there's been an election by God? When he says God has chosen you, we need to stop and think about what a marvelous thought that is. And it's a thought that we need to repeat today. I want you to picture the time that these people are having. You know, we've already talked about Acts 17 when, when Paul has to leave the city because of all the, the turmoil that arises over Christianity. They don't get to leave. They stay there. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're still living and walking in Christian faith in spite of all this, in spite of a country, in spite of a, a city that hates them, because they're a threat to its very existence. Remember, Thessalonica is a free city. That is, as long as it holds up the, the example of Roman power and submits themselves to Rome, they can govern themselves. They're one of the few cities in the world at that time that are like that. But they've had it taken away once, and they can have it taken away again. And so they are not a fan of the Christians, and they stick together, and they stay at this, in this situation, and they continue to, to push on through these hardships. And Paul is saying to them, during all this, don't think that you're an anomaly. Don't think that you just happened. God has chosen you. How important is it for us to think about that as well? When we have hardships, things that stress us, things that rip at our hearts, things that pull us from the very core, sorrow and suffering and, 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 and just things that on, on a daily basis that come in and, and they threaten us. And for us to remember, but God has chosen me. When I'm experiencing trouble in my marriage, trouble at work, temptations to act out sinfully because of all of these trials that are around me, to remember, God has chosen me. And how do I know? How did Paul know that they had been chosen? Because the gospel had power in their lives and they were being transformed by the gospel. When they received the word, it came with power. And sometimes I think we have just this little tendency to go, you know, I wish I could still do that today. It came with power, and very much so it came with the confirmation of miracles. They were able to confirm what they were saying. And we sometimes, I think, are tempted to go, well, what would things be different? I would believe more. People around me would believe more if I could perform a miracle. No, you wouldn't. And no, they wouldn't. And I can say that because miracles didn't make the difference in Jesus' day when He was performing miracles. Yes, some people listened, but a lot more didn't. A lot more didn't care that he could turn water to wine, that he could walk on water, that he could feed thousands of people with just a few small loaves of bread. And so what's the real power that came with all this? The real power was not in the miracles. We need to remember verses like Romans 1.16 which says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The real power of what has come to them is the gospel itself and the effect that it has had on them who believed it. And Paul is saying, I know you're chosen because I've seen the way you've responded. But he doesn't stop there. He says, let's think a little bit about how you responded, how you received the word. And so he goes on in verses uh, 6 and 7. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, 
so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. And so again, he is focusing back on this affliction. They received the word when it was hard. They received the word when it wasn't wildly accepted. They received the word when it cost them something to receive the word. And they became followers. There's really important points that are being made there. And that is receiving the word means more than just hearing it and going, yep, I believe that. Yep, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yep, I believe God has done great things in our lives. I believe God is preparing a place for us in heaven. I even believe in hell. I believe those things. He said, no, you received the word and you became followers. Or maybe you have imitators. Receiving the word, even during great hardships like they, that they had, involves becoming an imitator of the Word. An imitator of Christ. An imitator of those who are faithfully following Him. And he says, not only did you receive it, and you became followers at a time when crosshairs were set specifically upon you, when you had this constant problem going around because of the culture that you stood in, despite that culture, they said, we're not going to make excuses. We're going to receive this. We're going to become followers. And we're going to do it with joy. The joy of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, at such an early part of their Christian lives, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of joy, is already being produced in their lives. It's already growing in them. And see, sometimes we look at joy and, and we think of joy as a noun. The emotion of joy. I don't believe that's the way that word's being used here. Joy is being used here in the action verb sort of sense. It described the way that they acted. It described the way that they talked. It described the way that they thought. It described them. When you looked at this people that had no reason to be joyous whatsoever from a worldly sense, but you saw joy in them and thought, that's strange. Here's a people that are persecuted. Here's a people that are focused on by a world that says we have to do something about this problem in our society. And they have every reason to just be sorrowful and to be angry and to be bitter. And yet, despite all that, they are filled with joy. They receive the word with joy. And they become followers or imitators with joy. And I want to contrast that just a little bit to today. Because sometimes I think we, we hear the call to become a, a disciple of Christ. Or taking it a step further, we hear the call to work in the kingdom, to evangelize to the lost, to help the needy. We we're talking about charity this morning. We hear the call to be charity, um, to be a people described as, as a people of charity. We're called to care for widows and orphans and those that can't care for themselves, those that have needs. We're called to do all these things. And sometimes, sometimes I think that we worry more about the trouble that that will cause than the joy that it can produce. Maybe we look at those things and we go, but that's going to be hard. That's going to take time away from my already busy life. I've got so many things that are going on. I'm raising a family. I'm, I'm trying to work for a living. I'm trying to provide. 
Um, and it might even be hard because people, maybe people are going to make fun of me. Maybe people are going to speak bad about me. Maybe it's going to mean that I have to say something that they don't like and they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. These things are going to be, are, are going to be happening and the truth is they are. That's where this starts at. These people knew for a fact what they were getting into when they became Christians. They saw firsthand that this is a gospel of suffering. We are being invited to suffer with Christ. We are not being called into happiness. Not in the way that the world sees it today, at least. We are being called into gospel that invites us to share in the suffering. And unless we have the joy of the Holy Spirit being produced in our lives, we're probably not going to answer that call. Without joy, what we tend to do is we tend to look at this life as the goal. My comfort, my happiness today, right now, that's where my focus is. The joy of the Holy Spirit changes our perspective in life. And it causes us to look further down the road. Not to earthly joy, but to heavenly joy. Joy in eternity. That is where they were focused. And that's what made them examples. Did you notice that? In verse 6, he says, you became followers. But verse 7, because of their lives, because they became followers in the midst of affliction, because they became followers with joy, they also became examples. This is the product that the Word produces when it comes into someone's life with power. And it is the power of salvation for all who believe. And so when you look at their, their, their acceptance of the Word, their reception of it, the way that they followed the people who brought that to them and they were following Jesus Christ and they were doing that with joy, that was sending an example to the world. And we need that example still today. We need to move. And we need to grow. And we need to build in our lives opportunities and, and assistances and helps for fruits of the Spirit to grow in our lives, but especially joy. Especially the fruit that comes about in our lives when we aren't looking about what what do I want for right now, for this second, for today? Instead, what do I want for eternity? What do I want for eternity in my life? What do I want in eternity for my spouse's life? For my children? For my family? What do I want? And when we see that eternity is with God, the possibility for that eternity to be with God, we begin to have that production of joy in our lives that we finally are understanding this is what true happiness is. And so when we receive the word with joy, that leads us to become examples for others. But I want us to think of one more point. And that's what we find in verse 8. In verse 8 he goes on and says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. <clears throat> Stop here just for a second. 
Did you ever see that movie, The Sandlot? Is that a movie that, I mean, that is a cult classic to me. Um, if you haven't, it's a movie about a group of kids that just, they experience this magical summer of growth all surrounding around their love of baseball, the sandlot, coming together at the neighborhood um, designated spot to, to, to play baseball. And they, they grow in, in relationships with one another. They, they get into all sorts of mischief and hijinks, uh, just go on. But the main antagonist of this, this great movie turns out to be a great mastiff, a great dog known as the Beast. Um, I think he is described as a killing machine. Um, he's the most perfect junkyard dog that ever lived. A true killing machine is the way Squints Paladoris describes him in the movie. Um, and due to a misunderstanding over who Baby Ruth is uh, and the value of a ball signed by the Sultan of Swat, which gets knocked over the fence into the beast's playground, uh, you really have what leads up to the climax of this movie. The climax of the movie revolves around one character, uh, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, who puts on his PF flyers, does the unthinkable, climbs the fence to retrieve the lost ball of his friend. And this concludes with a great chase by the Beast uh, and, Bic and, and, uh, and Benny running through town. And, and from what, for those of you who've seen the movie, from what happens throughout that, uh, really don't need to say it becomes very clear that this dog that has, been, that has been built up with all of this talk, he proves himself very, very powerfully to be just the dog that he was afraid to be. He snaps his chain. He jumps over this giant fence, runs through town, knocking things out of the way. And he's just this great killing machine chasing after Benny and his signed Babe Ruth ball. But when we get to the end, and when it all looks like it's lost, um, a very interesting thing happens. The dog, instead of coming and eating our, our, our character here, he just kind of comes up and shows that he's really just interested in the ball, and he licks him, and he's not the great dog that they thought he was. Now, why did I bring all that up? Is it just because I really like the saying lot? Maybe a little bit. The example... The example that that dog sets in that movie is an example that speaks a hundred times louder than any story. I mean, the story that this kid comes up with about this dog eating junkyard robbers and flinging arms and bones, and it's just like, oh, that's a terrible story. The example this dog sets as to what it really is speaks volumes. Now, by the end of the movie, you have a perfectly clear picture. It doesn't matter what story you heard at the beginning. You know what kind of dog that is. Paul's speaking to the Thessalonians here. And he says, here's your story. You received the word in hardship. You received the word with joy. But it doesn't matter what your story is. Because your example speaks the loudest. The ways I could go around the world telling everyone, let me tell you about Thessalonica. Let me tell you about the Christians, but I don't have to. Why? 
because the world is already seeing it. He says, you spoke the word in Macedonia and Achaia. They were, speak, they were busy proclaiming the gospel. This is what God has done for me. This is how God has changed my life. This is what being a Christian looks like. But yet, what was more powerful than their words was the life that, that backed it up. The life that spoke clearly. The life that screamed out, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. This is what it looks like to share in His suffering and to do it with joy because we know what this has done for us. Yes, life may be hard right now, but I'm going to heaven. Yes, I might have a hard time dealing with the fact that this, city, this, this country, this city, these people, they hate me, but that's okay because God loves me and I'm going to heaven. Over and over again, this has changed their life. And Paul's saying, I don't have any need. I don't have any need to say anything. Paul, the inspired apostle, says you are saying more than I even need to say just through your life. And so there's a couple things that I want to think about before we conclude with that thought. And that is, sometimes we get the mentality that my life is going to speak everything that needs to. And I don't need to say anything to people about Jesus, about God. Let's just, I'll just show them. The Thessalonians had lives that literally were doing that. Paul says, I don't have to say a word to people because they see your example. But yet they still thought it prudent. Part of their example was that they spoke the gospel to others. But we need to be the kind of people that are willing to speak the gospel, willing to tell others what God has done for us, what He can do for them, what He wants to do for them. But we need to have lives that speak louder. And the problem is sometimes we do. Sometimes we have lives that we need to tell to be quiet for a minute. Because the lives that we live don't always drown us out in a good way. Sometimes the lives we live tell others that the words that we're speaking, we don't really take seriously ourselves. We don't really believe ourselves. We need to be like the Thessalonians, who are a people that talk, a people that share the truth. And due to their faith, our lives need to say like theirs did, I take this very seriously. And this has brought great joy into my life. And so what I hope you take from these couple of verses, from verses 4 through 8, I hope what you take from that is that when we are suffering, when we live in a world filled with suffering, when we live in a world that does not like the notions that Christianity is built upon, the truth of God's righteousness and His purity, and when we decide to follow that, we set ourselves up to experience persecution in many different ways. But when we suffer in those ways, what I want you to remember is responding to God with faith speaks volumes. Jonah responded to God in faith. It took him a couple tries, 
But eventually he does. And he spoke volumes. But responding to God with faith, coupled with joy of the Spirit, there's not enough books in the world to even record the message that you're saying to those around you. Paul says, I don't even need to say another word. When we experience hardships, let's add to our faith joy. And let, let that motivate us to follow Christ, to be a people who speak, to be a people who, who shout out and proclaim the joy that we have, and be a people that show it in our lives. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that we can have such a powerful faith? We can have a faith that is so powerful that it can spread out. You think about these people at Thessalonians. He says, you're not just known in Macedonia and Achaia. You're known throughout the world. They're known in Nicholasville, Kentucky, 2,000 years later for what they did. That's the faith that we can have. That's the faith that is, can be produced when we believe that the Word of God is the power to salvation for those who believe and it, we couple that with joy. That is an awesome knowledge for us to have. So let's be the type of people who do that. Let's be the type of people that show the world that I've chosen, I have been chosen by God, I will serve Him despite the difficulties that this life may throw me, and I will do so happily because I know where I'm going. I know where it's leading me. And maybe this morning you don't have that confidence. <clears throat> maybe this morning you're sitting there thinking, how do I know if I've been chosen? Because there's a lot of places in the world that will tell you, when do you know you're saved? Well, you just know. You just know it's time. How do I know when it's time to obey God? You'll just know. When did the Thessalonians know that they had been chosen by God? When they heard the good news, when they heard the gospel, and they believed it enough to provoke them to action with joy. You can have that same confidence today. You can know, without a shadow of a doubt, that God has chosen you when you allow the message of what He has done to prove that to you, sending His Son to die on the earth, to come from heaven, to walk as a man, to sacrifice His life in the most humiliating way possible as a thief, or amongst thieves, as a criminal, on a cross because He loves you. Because He loves you so much even before you were born, He loved you. And He knows that He wants you to be with Him in eternity. And the God that sent him had the power to raise him back to life. And isn't that the whole message of Romans chapter 6? If he had the power to raise him back to life, he has the power to raise you to newness of life when you connect with him in baptism. You know what that tells me? If I've been raised to newness of life by the power of God, I am a powerful creature. Not exhibiting my own strength and my own power. I'm a reflection of the power of God which brought me out of death into life. And you can be that too. You can know you are chosen. You can stand before the world as a powerful example of what it looks like to follow God. And if we can help you with that this morning, I want you to please let us know by coming forward as we stand and as we sing.